Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to share with these fine young people. I pray, Lord, that you would pour out the power of God, that you would touch the hearts and lives of these young people. Pour it out. Father, I pray that you would draw many because of this night, because of the things that they hear, their hearts would be opened to receive the goodness of God, which draws men to repentance, that the goodness of God would draw them. Father, I pray for your blessing and for your anointing. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, and I trust in you to do far more than I could ever ask or think, far more than I deserve but because of Jesus Christ and for His glory. Amen. What I'd like to open up with is how I became a person of faith. How did this happen? I didn't grow up in a Christian home. In fact, we never talked much about God at all. It was a very rare thing. I... I actually only remember one conversation in our home my entire time growing up that was on the topic of God, and that conversation lasted for about 30 seconds. So we really didn't discuss this topic much. So what I'd like to do is take you through the story of how I came to be a person of faith. This is my story of what happened to me. This is the way that salvation was presented to me. This is the story of how it was done. And what happened was, it was in, in uh, 1977. And in 1977, and oh, oh, by the way, how many of you are my students? How many of you are in my class or work in my lab? Okay, that's good. That's good. I wish there had been more. All right, so, so just to give you an idea of... of of what happened. It was in 1977. I was a freshman in college. And one young man walked up to me. We were, we were actually doing laundry in the laundry room. And it was, it was uh, probably September or so of my freshman year, so early on. And we got to talking, and he told me that he wanted to become... I asked him what he wanted to, to do. He was on the football team, and I asked him if he wanted to try to play professional football. And he said, oh, no, I'm never good enough for that. But... He said he wanted to be a missionary. And I thought, a missionary? I had no idea that missionaries still work today and are needed today. And I thought, missionary? Why would you want to be a missionary? There's no need for missionaries today. And we got to talking, and then he said he'd like to tell me, give me an illustration of the gospel. And I didn't know what that meant. And I presume many of you don't know what that means. But I'm going to give to you the illustration that he gave to me in 1977, in around uh, September of 1977. So, right about 33 years ago, what he told me. This is the way of salvation as it was presented to me. And what, what he, he talked about was that there were two cliffs here. There was one side and another side. And there were people on one side, and God was on the other side, and there was a great chasm that separated people from God. Something separated us from God. And this is the story, as he told it to me. So I listened to him. And so people are on one side, 
And we try to get to God. We think, can we get to God? How could we cross this chasm? And he had me read a verse from the Bible. And that verse says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there was something of sin that separated us from God. I couldn't get to God because of my sin. It was separating me. And the Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned. And when he said that to me, I looked at him and I said, I've not sinned. It sounds like a very strange thing to say, but in my own mind, I, I didn't think that I was a sinner. figured I had never killed anybody. I'd never robbed a bank. How could I be a sinner? And, and I told him this, and I looked right at him. I said, I've not sinned. And he was a bit surprised. And so he had me read another verse from the Bible. And it says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So everyone who has looked at a woman, and I was 18 years old. I mean, there, there was some meaning in this. And I knew immediately when I read that verse, if that is the standard of sin, that Jesus Christ spoke about. Because this is, this is actually a quote from Jesus Christ. If this is the standard, I have violated that standard. And it was this, as if something was just stabbing me in my heart. Because I knew that if that is true, I have violated it. Not just once, but multiple times. And I, I couldn't get past this thought, and it just stayed with me. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the wages of sin is death. That I deserve death because of this sin. That's what the Bible says. So there was something that this sin was pulling me down. And there's other verses in the Bible that he showed me that says that your works are like filthy rags before God. That my works couldn't get me to God. So many of us, we, we try to do works to get us over, but those works fall short. So there wasn't a way that I could do good things to get me to God. If I couldn't do good things to get me to God, if I couldn't do something good to make up for the sin that I was now exposed to me, what should I do? What could I do? This is what started to impact my heart. This is what started to hit me about 33 years ago. And it says that the wages of sin is death, that what I should get, you know, you work and you get, you get a paycheck. That's your wages. The wages of sin is death. That is all I deserve. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this one who said that if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. This one who said that also says that he offers eternal life 
in himself, in Christ Jesus. This is what it says. I mean, this is, a, this is an interesting story. Why should such a story impact a human being? Why should it do this? I mean, we all hear lots of stories all the time. Why should a story like this impact human beings in this way? It's really quite unusual. Don't we hear lots of stories? Why should it all of a sudden, why was my heart pounding when I read that verse from the Bible? That my sin was exposed to me. Why should that happen? And I'll tell you. Because it's been given by God. Because God knows what's in the heart of all people. And He is the one who speaks to people's heart. So it's a different kind of story because it's been given by God to convict human beings so that they could be drawn to Him and receive His love. Then it says, but God demonstrates His own His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus Christ provides this way for me to get to God. Jesus Christ has given of Himself for me. It is Him that will bring me to God. God demonstrates His love toward us in that while I was yet a sinner, He died for me. Jesus Christ came and He died for me in order to provide a bridge for me to get to God. That is what that says. And the Bible makes it very clear the step that I have to take to walk across this bridge. It says, you have to do this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That I confess that Jesus is Lord and that I believe in my heart that God raised Him from the dead. I mean, this is something so incredible. How can a man How can a woman believe that God has raised somebody from the dead? Dead people don't return. We don't have a lot of data points on this. Why something so incredible? If somebody wanted to start a new religion, they would say, well, God God loves everybody. God loves children. Come unto God. And that would be a good story that many people could accept. But why come with something so incredible? So unbelievable that God has raised somebody from the dead. And that it says that in order to be saved, I have to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God has raised him from the dead. And then, and only then will I be saved. I mean, that's a pretty high standard for coming into some new religion, isn't it? I mean, how am I going to believe that somebody has been raised from the dead? I'll tell you, because God has placed the truth of this in the hearts of human beings. So this is what he read to me. I didn't believe that night when he had read this to me in September of 1977. I didn't believe it. But I listened to him. Because for the first time in my life, I had been confronted with sin 
For the first time in my life, I was confronted with sin. I had never sensed before that I was a sinner, and all of a sudden, I knew that I was a sinner. I knew it. Because of the things that I had done. So my heart was pounding. And then he told me how I could get to God in this way. How I could get on the side of God by going through this. Such a simple little story. I couldn't get my mind off it. He left my room and I just was thinking about this story. And this sin was ever before me. And that night, in November 7, 1977, so a few months after I had heard this story, something happened on November 7, 1977. I was all alone in my room. There was nobody else was there. And I had been thinking about this story for two months. I had been thinking about it. And I had been meeting Christian people. I never met so many Christian people before. You'd think, you know, you'd grow up in the United States, you'd meet Christians everywhere. One would think that. I didn't grow up in a Christian neighborhood. Very few of the kids in my elementary school were Christians. I didn't meet anybody particularly that went around saying they were Christians, but here I was in college and I was meeting all these people and they were different. There was something different about them. I'll tell you one of the things that I really noticed that was different about them. I had known growing up that if you're sitting with a group of people and people are laughing in that group of people, that there's often one person in that group that's hurting Because very often they're laughing at one individual in the group. And I had known that pain. What I noticed when I sat with these Christian people in the cafeteria to eat, they were laughing, they were having a good time, but it was never at anyone else's expense. Nobody was in pain during those times of laughter. And I noticed that. And these people were different. And you know, there's a verse in the Bible that Jesus said... People will know you. He's talking about Christians. People will know you by the love that you have one for another. And I really sensed love from them like I had not known before. Maybe people knew it. I didn't have that. So it caused me to ponder these things even more. And I started to pick up a a little a little Bible and started to read it. I had a, actually, it was just a, one book out of the New Testament was given to me. And I started to read it. And I had tried reading the Bible before. When I was in high school, I worked in a gas station. People sometimes would come in and give me little tracts or little pamphlets that had portions of the Bible. And I remember trying to read it and it made absolutely no sense. I wondered, how could people read this? How could they do this? I don't even understand what they're talking about. But that night I was alone in my room and for some reason, I don't know exactly what moved me to do this on that night. I got down on my knees, not that I had seen other people do it, not that it had been demonstrated to me, I don't know why. And I prayed and I said, Lord, forgive me 
because I'm a sinner. Forgive me. And Lord, come into my life. Let me have relationship with you. And it was as if a man was standing in my room. I opened my eyes because it felt so real that someone was standing there. And I didn't see anybody. I saw nothing. But I felt that someone was in my room with me. And this burden of sin that I had been carrying started to lift. And I felt clean. I felt cleansed. And something happened. I started enjoying the presence of this fellowship. And I started in my room all alone. I started to weep. I didn't want to get up because His presence was so real. Something happened to me on that night in 1977. Remember after some time I got up and I felt different. And I told nobody because it was a very strange thing. For weeks I told nobody what happened that night. But something different. I felt different. I felt much happier, much freer. And this young man who had shared this story with me saw me in the hallway in the dormitory. And he looked at me. He said, Jim, have you, have you invited Jesus into your heart? And I said, I think I have. Why do you ask? He says, I haven't seen you stop smiling for weeks. Something really happened to me that night. Something that is incredible, that is not easy to understand other than to relate to you as I just have the story of how this young man, a freshman in college, came to faith in Jesus Christ. And then, how am I going to remain close to this God? I don't want to drift away. The presence of His fellowship, the presence of being in the room with Him, was so sweet, was so good. I didn't want to lose this. So, this young man gave me now a New Testament. This young man that had shared the story, he gave me a New Testament, which is just half of the Bible. It's not the whole Bible, it's just half of it. And he gave it to me and he, he said, this is a gift for you. He said, if you read this every day, you will stay close to God. If you don't read it every day, you won't. And that seemed to me to be a very simple prescription to remain close to God. So I started to do that. And for over 30 years, I have read the Bible Every day. Every day. And I start on page 1, which is Genesis chapter 1. And I read a portion. And then when I'm done, I pick up the next day or that evening where I started, where I left off. 
And I start reading again. And when I get done with the whole Bible, I start again. I get done with the whole Bible and I start again. That's what I have done for over 30 years. I've read this book every day of my life. Every day of my life. How do you remain close to God? The Bible makes it very clear. It says, there's a verse in Psalm 1. It says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. That's a promise that's given. It says, How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. You see what it says? In his law, in this book, he meditates day and night. So meditation is you pick up this word and you start to read it, and you think about it. You think about it. See, Lord, teach me from this book. And every morning I wake up very early, and I take this book, this Bible, And I get down on my knees and I say, Lord, just speak to me this morning through this book. Speak to me. Prepare me for this day. The things that I don't know, show me. And He speaks to me. And then in the evening, I pick up the Scriptures again and I read verses. And He speaks to me again. And it says, here's what will happen to one who delights in the Word of God. It says he's going to be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. So when everybody else is drying up, you will have plenty of water. You'll be like a tree firmly planted. I've seen many young people that were with me in school. We were 18 together. They're all dried up now bitter, angry in their lives. Gone through multiple relationships, multiple marriages. And I see what God did with me. He fulfilled His promise. And it says, and in whatever He does, He prospers. That's a promise. Prosperity in God is something much greater than money. It is a quality of life that He gives. That whether we live or whether we die, the quality is there. That He gives a family to surround us. The Bible says, God has set the lonely in families. I know what He did with me. I know what He did in giving me the wife that I have, that I love her so much. We've been married for 28 years. And she and I are so like-minded in ministry and what we like to do for people and like the things we like to do. She is a person who is not selfish at all. Always giving to others. 
She wakes up in the morning, she makes a list of things she's going to do for other people that day. I mean, a remarkable woman. I see many men, they don't even care about their wives after a few years. I love my wife so much. We've never disagreed on how we should raise the children. I know what God has done for me. This is the secret of prosperity in my life. Many people say, oh, you know, well, you were just so smart. No, I never was. I was just an average student. Even when I was in college, I was struggling in freshman chemistry. This year, I was. Somebody put me in an honors class because they heard I was a chemistry major. I didn't need to be in the honors class. And I was struggling with this. I came to know the Lord on November 7th of my freshman year. I got out of that first semester with a B plus, And I was so thankful. And God prospered me, though, so that I never got less than an A in any other chemistry class. And I took every graduate course in chemistry that I could take as an undergraduate. And I graduated number one in my class of all chemists. Of, of all the people in chemistry. And I know what God did for me. And people say, oh no, you're very smart. And it doesn't matter. If I say, that wasn't me, people are convinced. You know, it couldn't have been God, they think. No, it was God. In my life, it was God. It was God. His word is true. Because He gives a promise. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Thy commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. And I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. This is what, this is a promise that He gives us. If I love His Word, what He's written, if I love it, Here's what's going to happen. If I make it my meditation all the day, His commandments will make me wiser than my enemies. It's a promise. I'll have more insight than all my teachers. And it doesn't say just your Bible teachers. It says than all your teachers, you'll have more insight. I mean, this is a remarkable promise, isn't it? It's really a remarkable promise. You know, I, I can tell you a story that goes along with this. I was at, uh, I had gotten my PhD at Purdue University. I had been invited back to Purdue when I was, I was, uh, uh, I don't know, I, I guess I had, had uh, been in a faculty position for about three years. I was invited back to give a talk, to give a lecture. And um, many of you will be able to appreciate this story in particular. I was invited back to give this lecture, and I got my Ph.D. at Purdue University with a Japanese man. And, and he wasn't the most benevolent of individuals in, in praising people for their work. And no matter, when I was in his group, no matter how hard I worked, I brought him a great result. He would never say, wow, that's really great. The best I could ever get out of him is he would say, pretty good for your level. And I never got above the guy's waist. Never. And so here I was invited back to give a talk. And I knew that always attending the talks was also H.C. Brown, who discovered hydroboration, won the Nobel Prize in... Uh, uh, what year did he win the Nobel Prize? 1979, he won the Nobel Prize in chemistry. 
for Hyderaboration. I knew he'd be there. And I was all alone in my room one night, one, that morning before the lecture. I was at Purdue University. I was in, staying in the, in the student center. They have a hotel there, and I was staying there in a the hotel. And I was having my morning time as I do every morning. And I read in the Bible, it says, Jesus said, if you believe that this mountain, if you say to this mountain, get up and move, and you believe it, it will happen. That's a very strange verse. But God started to lift my faith, and I prayed that morning, and I said, Lord, I pray that I give the best seminar ever in the department. Ever. Here I was, a new assistant professor. I'd been doing research on my own for three or four years. Three years or something like that. I had been invited back, maybe four years, and maybe I'd just been promoted. I, I don't quite remember the exact date. And I, I said, Lord, okay, I pray it's the best seminar. And then I said, how do I know it's going to be the best seminar ever in that department? Because that's what I pray. I said, Lord, if it's the best seminar ever, I pray that that Japanese professor of mine, instead of saying pretty good for your level, that he would say that it was a super seminar. You know, that's not a word he normally used, but that he would just use that terminology. That's what I prayed. Well, I gave that seminar, and I knew God had really blessed. And as soon as I got done, that little Japanese man on the front row, he stood up, he raised his hand, and he said, Supa! Supa! <laughs> you know, I got down, and I... I walked up to H.C. Brown, who would always sit on the second row, on the end. Nobody else sat there because that was his seat. And I walked up to him, and he was in his 80s by that time. And I shook his hand and said, thank you for coming to the seminar today. And he held on to my hand. He said, I want you to know something. That was the best seminar I've ever seen in my entire life. And I said, that's very kind of you to say that. And in typical Nobel Prize winning fashion, he said, I'm not saying it to be kind. I really mean it. You know, God really confirms his word. I have seen this in my life. This is the promise. He says that he can give you more insight than all your teachers. That Japanese man subsequently, about five years ago, I was invited back to Purdue. I gave a seminar. He walked up to me afterward. He said, You've passed me. You've passed me. You see, this is the promise. And you can discount this. Go ahead. It doesn't bother me a bit. Discount it. But I know what God has done in my life. There's another thing that He gives us for remaining close. The Bible says, Not forsaking your own assembling, our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's important to have the encouragement of others. And in particular for me, in my newfound faith at that time, it was important, my relationship with other, other Christians. This was important. And this fueled for me a new company, a new society, a new group that I could learn from that I could learn God's ways from them. And then he also gives advice on how to live. The Bible is full of advice on how to live. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. 
Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. You know, I I take scripture passages and the, the Bible promises things if we meditate on the word of God. So even to this day, after 30 years, I still keep a pocket full of scriptures that I'm memorizing. And this verse in particular has been really quite rewarding for me. Don't let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. If you do this, you will find favor. People will look at you well. Both with God and men. God will look at you well. Men will look at you well. You want to build favor? You know, I was uh, um, talking to one professor. He says, Jim, how do you do it? Wherever you go, everybody likes you. I don't know, I'm not that nice of a person. I'm really not. Bo's a nice person. I'm not that nice of a person. He's really a nice man. I'd have to try to be nice, but still. It says, you will find good reputation in the sight of God and men. This is terrific advice. This book is full of good advice to live by. If you are truthful, I won't cheat on a yield. I won't lie on a yield. If I'm writing a paper, I won't try to up the yield on something. I tell my students, if if I've written something that's not true, tell me, because I don't want to publish something that's not true. Because the Bible says, if you take truth and you bind it around your neck, that you're always truthful, then God will look at you well and other people will look at you well. If you lie, people will know it. People will sense it. And it will ruin your reputation. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If we seek God and his kingdom, he will add to us everything we need in work, in job. You know, for, for, for my entire career, for 23 years, you know, I've, I, I've had funding where I've been able to support my group at whatever level it was. I've seen my colleagues, their funding drop out. All these, God has always supplied for me. I want to serve Him because His promise, if I, if I serve Him, all these things will be added to you. What you need, you will have. What you need, you will have. If I deal honestly, I remember I got my first computer for my... This was 23 years ago. It was a Mac SE. It had one megabyte of RAM. It was a tremendous computer. And, and, uh, and I bought the software for it. And then a year later, the Mac SE 30 that had 30 megabytes of RAM came out. And I bought one and I put it in my lab for my students. And I bought another set of software and I put it in there. And then I got another computer for the lab and bought another set of software. One colleague said, what are you doing that? You just put this software in any one of these. You don't have to buy a different set. I said, no, no, no. I, I talked with the companies. They said, no, you have to buy a set for, for every computer. And he just shook his head. He says, you're crazy. You buy a different set for every computer. I said, I've got to be honest. I've got to be honest. I can't take things that don't belong to me. And you know what happened? Sometimes at the end of the year, program managers would have a little extra money in their programs, and they'd call me. They'd say, you want a little extra money in your grant? I mean, this doesn't happen to people. It happens to me. If you deal honestly, 
God gives you back many times over. All these things will be added to you. Where did I learn this? I didn't learn this in the chemistry lab. I learned it from this book. From this book. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. That this story impacts your life like it impacted mine. That it changes your life like it changed mine. I pray it does. Bow your head with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to share my faith, what you've done for me. Father, I pray for these young people. That the magnitude of their sin would be exposed to them. And the goodness of God that awaits in Jesus Christ. That they would one day be able to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart. I believe in the heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with the mouth that God has raised him from the dead. To believe this, to say it, to believe that God has raised him from the dead, to be able to believe this. And that in this, they would experience the free gift that's in God. Father, renew your word to them that they would confess that Jesus is Lord, that they would be able to believe his resurrection from the dead. Father, I pray, through your mercies, you draw them to Jesus Christ, that they could experience the goodness of God that I have experienced in my life. Father, so protect their lives, I pray, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.